Proactive Athletes is the premier place that empowers student athletes to overcome the challenges of college sports recruitment. Their unparalleled expertise and influential network will guide you towards realizing your fullest potential. At Proactive Athletes, they understand that each student athlete is unique, facing their own set of obstacles. That's why their dedicated team takes the time to comprehend your individual needs, providing a comprehensive hands-on approach tailored to your success. With their personalized attention and unwavering support, they ensure your satisfaction every step of the way. Through their vast network, they have successfully connected with over 2.3 million coaches, giving your child's profile the exposure it deserves. In fact, their student-athletes' profiles have been viewed by an astounding 716,000 coaches, solidifying their reputation as the go-to platform for recruitment. What sets them apart is their data-driven approach, allowing them to make informed decisions that result in better outcomes for their student-athletes. By harnessing the power of data, they maximize your child's chances of success as they embark on the next chapter of their athletic journey. Join the ranks of proactive athletes and unlock your true potential. Let them amplify your talent, connect you with coaches that want you but may not have known about you, and pave the way for your future success. Together, they will defy the odds and ensure that your dreams become a reality. Don't wait any longer. Get proactive in your child's recruitment process today by visiting proactiveathletes.com. And make sure you use Shark Effect 10 for 10% off. Welcome to the Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. I'm a former NFL veteran, and now I'm a leadership and personal development speaker and coach. In this podcast, you will hear inspirational and humorous stories from leaders of all walks of life, from current and former professional athletes, coaches, authors, experts, executives, and successful business owners. Discover how these leaders not only overcame obstacles, but also learned core principles that led to their success when leading others. Hello, once again, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in for another episode of The Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. Um, I've been away for a minute and had to regroup, reprocess, and, and I'm back. And I'm back. This is the 100th episode of The Shark Effect. And so what I was thinking, what I wanted to do and what I did is I put together like a compilation of all my episodes, not all of them, but some of my most favorite or memorable episodes or conversations, either with a guest or a solo episode. So um, these are some of my favorite and most deepest, most impactful conversations I've, I've had using this platform. And so hopefully you guys will enjoy it. Hopefully you get something out of it. Um, I've have I have different I have authors I have business owners I have uh, celebrities that have graced the shark effect and we had some really deep conversations so I'm excited I'm gonna stop talking thank you once again for your support for you know for a hundred weeks and um, we we look to get a hundred more all right all right here we go love that love that. What are some principles that you live by, Dr. Will, that 
you know, you can be able to share with us because you've had so much success, um, both in as an entrepreneur, right, as an entrepreneur, but also as a husband and a father. What are some of the the the, the principles that you can share? That's like, man, when these when you lay these things down man, you can start to be able to build something magnificent. Can you share some of the principles that you live by? Yeah, so I live by three major principles, faith, family, and fun. When it comes to my faith, um, that's a, a huge part of who I am. That's where I get my foundation. That's where I get my principles from. For me personally, um, I'm a Christian. And so the principles that I choose to live by are those that I find in the Bible. And then my family, um, that's the most thats the most important thing to me. And so I, I invest a lot of time with my family and my friends. And then that third one is fun, man. Life is this amazing journey. So I don't put too much pressure on myself. Um, am I serious about life? I'm very serious about life. Am I serious about the work that I do? I'm very serious about the work that I do. But at the same time, um, I keep it fun. I keep it entertaining for me. And so those three foundational pillars for me, faith, family, and fun, it helps to anchor me. And so um, whatever I'm involved in, it has to be fun. If I'm not having fun, I take a step back and say, okay, Will, should you be doing this? Or are you approaching this task or this project in the wrong way? Because it should be fun. And then with my family, making sure that I just always show up for them. I remember years ago, um, I was talking to a gentleman and I was in a hotel and it was, it was Christmas time and he was there with all of his family, all of his kids, all of his grandchildren, and everyone just looked happy. Everyone just looked happy. And um, I went over to him and I said, excuse me, how, how did you create this? How, how did you create this? And he says, what do you mean? I say, I, I'm looking at everybody. I've been observing you guys and everybody just seems happy to be here. You know, sometimes you'll do a trip and the teenagers are in the corner pouting and all that type of stuff. But I said, how did you create this? Because everybody looks like they want to be here and they're happy. And he says, well, I'm a doctor. Um, he was a dentist. And he says, when my children was younger, I made it a point not to um, bring into my life anything that was going to compete with family time. So he says, even though I'm a doctor and a dentist, I didn't get involved with golfing. I didn't get involved with a lot of things that were going to pull me away from my family. He says, I made sure that I was home for dinner. I made sure that I was able to go to all of their recitals. And so throughout the years, um, my kids always want to be around me. And then they fostered that with their kids. And now my grandkids, they just want to be around the family. And so that's exactly what I tried to do, man, uh, with my family earlier on in my business. I made sure that I was always at home for dinner as much as possible at 6 p.m. So we could have those table topics. And so we can have just that camaraderie. And I tell people now, if you just think about it, you know, in a 10 year span from the time your kid is five to the time they're 15, um, if you could be home 300 nights out of the year, 300 nights out of the year, after 10 years, that's 3000 conversations you could have with your family. 
Think about that. 3,000 conversations you can have with your family. You can instill values in them. You can instill vision in them. You can um, talk to them about their day. You can um, talk to them about family legacy. So with those 3,000 opportunities, what are you going to do with it? And so I took advantage of that. And, um, and and so we see the fruit of that. So family is very important. And as I said, faith, once again, is the foundation of which I try to do everything around. And long story short, you know, this lady told me, Alex, you're not getting this job. And and mind you, this was a $45,000 a year job. It was entry level at best. And I didn't get it. And she told me why. I said, Alex, you don't know who you are. You know, she kept asking me questions to figure out who I was. And I kept coming up with what I did. I kept talking about my platform the success that I had in that platform. And I didn't answer the question of who I was. That was a cost. There's a cost when you start to elevate and you're raising your platform and you're having success in whatever area. If you're not careful, that thing that you do will become who you are. And when you finally step away, you're lost or you're stuck. So there's a cost of not knowing who you are. I suggest like asking some questions. Okay, I had a coach, mentor, and he would constantly ask me questions on not just what I wanted to do with my platform of speaking, but also he started off with, Alex, you need to figure out like who you are first. And then does that character still align with your true values? your beliefs because a lot of folks you know we use language right we use words to convey who we are and you got to do that but if your words don't align with your actions that that's one of the worst things i think is to say that you're something that you're really not I coach high school football, right? And I and I and I train a select few, and my 13-year-old is one of those select few. And I told him, I said, you don't need to tell people how fast you are or how good you are in whatever sport. Let your actions do that. And when your actions do that, other people will start to tell other people, other folks about how good or how fast you are. You don't have to do it. You don't want to do it. Let your actions do it. Okay? So, but one of the things you can ask yourself is like, number one, I just talked about that. Like, what are um, your your beliefs? What, what are your values? And do you break them often to get to, you know, to build for relationships or a job or something like that? Is you got to have a foundation of who you are. And then you got to ask yourself, are you okay with where you're at right now? Or do you want to change? Because the cool thing is we can change our character. Now, it's hard if the older we get, we fall into our ways, right? My pops, he's 71. I had a conversation with him yesterday about how my brother who's living out in Atlanta, I always tell him, 
you know, some of the things that he can't eat. You know, man, he's telling me I can't eat fried chicken, Alex. He's telling me I got to start drinking more water. Or I got to start eating more vegetables. I said, yeah, Pops, you have to do that, right? You want to live. You want to keep walking this earth. You want to build a relationship with your grandchildren. These are some of the things. This is the cost of changing who you are. And I get it. It's not comfortable, especially you're, you're setting your ways. But we, we have a choice. We have a choice of changing who we are. Athletes taking ownership of their persona, of their identity, and then deciding how they're going to navigate it is critical. It's not just critical for revenue streams, but it's also critical, as I mentioned, from an identity standpoint. So you create that identity. You can then do a number of different strategic things that allow for you to fuel that identity and conversely stay away from some things that are counter to said identity that you create and when we don't see that that's oftentimes a recipe for disaster for a lot of these athletes i i remember that the first year there i and i was so happy i was like yeah this is my childhood team going for the raiders uh and it was pretty cool because there were there were several of us players on that team that went from new orleans saints to the Raiders. That's right. With with our coach, one That's of our coaches. Right. Okay, one of our, one of our coaches. So I, I was really happy about that whole situation. So I remember being on the practice field. I'll never forget this. And I'm sitting there where offense is out there doing stuff and I'm watching things, got my helmet off. And then people used to say, you can you can smell the man coming before he's standing next to you. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? You can say, you can smell Al Davis coming before he gets here because all the polo cologne that he put on oh, that's that he funny. that he wears it's so strong that you go oh al must be out here and you look around and you see al over there right because <laughs> that stuff was so strong and he had his little towel with him so i remember you know standing there and i could just smell something and next thing you know al davis is standing right next to me and i said <laughs> oh hey hey mr davis how you doing and he goes hey anthony how you doing i said good 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 and i'm sitting there kind of in awe yeah, I'm a okay. professional football player, but I'm standing next to the owner, Al Davis. Now, I have never been approached by any owner ever in my life. Me too. Period. Ever. Ever. I, here's the thing. I'm not the quarterback, so the owner's not talking to me. You know, yeah. I'm not the star player that a star offensive tackle who's protecting a quarterback that's signing that crazy amount of money contract. I'm just a deep at the back on the team, you know, <laughs> just somebody on defense. So he's standing next to me, and I said, hey, he goes, hey. He goes, first of all, he goes, I want to say that we are so happy to, to get you on our football team. I said, oh, thank you, thank you. He goes, oh, my God. He goes, he goes you know, we wanted you out of, out of college. I said, I know, I know. I said, yeah, I, I remember I was talking to Willie Brown about that, and we were, we were, we were going back and forth. He goes, yeah, we, I wanted you bad, boy, because you can run. He says, you went to that combine, and you ran. I said, yeah, I, I, I got a little speed. He goes, yeah, I love speed. I said, I know you love speed. So, <laughs> yeah. so he goes, yeah. He goes, he goes. Now tell me something. I said, yeah. And this would shock me. He goes, now in high school you are a running back at Beaverton High School. He goes, why did you switch over to defensive back in college, Alex? That blew my mind. I said, wait, 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 wait. Hold up. First of all, you're the owner. Okay. Second of all, 
first you came to me and said congratulations. Thank, you know, I want to thank you for being on our team. That shocked me. First of all, now you're asking Have me you about ever heard those things from an owner before. Never, never. Owners don't even look my way. I've never even, you know, I've seen an owner, uh, Georgia Frontier, who was the owner of the Rams. She's sitting there and, you know, she just kind of passes you and walks by you and kind of and keeps on walking. There's no conversations. Tom Benson. I was about to say Tom Benson. I, I, I never even saw him. I don't think I, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think I might saw the umbrella that he had walking around, but I, I never even saw him, you know? So Al Davis is standing next to me having a conversation, and then he goes into deep conversation about you are a running back in high school. Why did you switch over? Said my high school. He called out my high school. And then talking about why did you switch over in college to, to defensive back? I looked at him like, are you kidding me? My mind was just, I was lost. I was like, I, wow. He did his homework. That blew my mind, Alex. It blew my mind. You know, it was really, my, my boss forced me to get better at it. You know, and he had told me, it's like, hey, you, the goal when you go to one of these networking events isn't to, and I was in sales, what isn't to go find somebody and see if they're going to buy something from you. He goes, that is not the goal. He goes, ultimately, you hope something like that may happen. He goes, but your goal is to go meet as many people as possible, ask them as many questions about their business, what they do. He goes, and then when you can find that common ground or something that you may be able to help them with, he goes, then interject your more your, yourself more into the conversation. He goes, other than that, just ask people a lot of questions, you know, and then we would role play it. We would role play it out. And, you know, he, of course, would be like the person which didn't want to be bothered, which was weird at the network event. If you go there, expect people to come up to you, you know, introduce yourself. So I, by the same token, had to do that as well. Like I had to go, OK, well, I need to be open as well with other people coming up and introducing themselves yourselves to me. You know, so really I started to use you know, these initial networking events and I, geez, I probably went to three, four, like a month, you know, a lot. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, all kinds of different, you know, network events and really was just me spent on, Hey, my name is, you know, John Tommy Piao. Nice to meet you. You know, Hey, tell tell me what you do. Tell me about your business. Tell me, tell me what you guys do. And then really I would just keep asking them questions, you know, about, about their business. And of course, had a script of questions that you practice before you got there. So you tried not to be too awkward, you know, about things, you know, but really just got into really some great conversations with people. That's, but that's how I started to really start to build a network of people that I, that I grew to know here, you know, while I was in San Diego. When you can start to like, look at things and like, okay, yeah, this is the easy road. But if I keep taking this easy road, what happens when I face this storm in my life? What happens when I face this boss that he communicates a little bit different of what I'm used to? What do I do? What type of character do I need to turn into if I've never even looked at what it would look like facing a boss that yells and screams? or doesn't give me the proper respect. What does that look like? We can practice it. That's one thing I really believe in is is practice. 
is I can practice taking the tougher road and, and anything, whether it's your health, right? If you want to be healthy, if you want to get healthy faster, it's not just about walking for 10 minutes a day. That can help. But if you want to do it fast, it's not about walking 10 minutes a day and that's it. You have to run and I would say sprint, right? I would also say, look at your nutrition. What type of fuel are you putting in your body, right? And I would say what other things that you're doing in your life that you have no control over. It's like if you're if you're at a job behind a desk, what can you do? Can you stand up? Can you walk around? Can you stand up and do some stretches? Something. You know what I'm saying? Something that can that's the path of most resistance. And that's all you've been doing since you were three years old is wanting to be a doctor. And then at that point, there's one more. You can either go to this 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 hospital that is the, the best in the world, or now you're done. And some people go to that best hospital, and now they're done, and there's no other hospital that they can go to. It's over. And so you're lost because you can't be a doctor anymore. And that's all you've been doing since you were three years old. And so when you put it like that, it kind of gives a little more perspective to it. Athletes, we've been doing that since we were so young. We were trained in so many different ways to be the best. And now it's over. And so I, I run across so many athletes that don't know what to do if it's not in sports. Is that all the things that we think are going to make us happy, all the shiny objects, the house, the car, how we, what we look like, if, is our partner attractive, uh, all of those things which are nice, they actually don't move the needle on our well-being. What moves the needle, according to science, according to my life, um, are things like acts of kindness, acts of service, sleep, exercise, time affluence, which is having the time to actually do what you want to do. Um, social connection. So even though, even on a screen, I feel lit up right now. I feel like a million bucks. I'm not making a penny here, but I'm genuinely, genuinely connecting with someone socially and an awesome person, no less. So thank you. It's things like that, that actually move the needle, but yet we spend so little time doing most of those things. So, so many of us are sleep deprived. We aren't exercising adequately. We aren't taking the time to do acts of kindness or service. We aren't giving ourselves the time to do what we want to do or connecting socially. We're, we're stressed out on social media, worrying about the likes and the followers. We're obsessed with the business and making money, which is important and great, but we're just, we're not spending enough time on the things that really matter. I think it's knowing where my strengths are and knowing where my weaknesses are, right? So um, first and foremost, leading with sometimes flattery, right? Oh, dude, that looks incredible. <laughs> You're a savage, you're a beast, right? Like- That's what I came in. <laughs> you don't want, like, you want to leave there being like, dude, I really wanted to hate this guy, but I just can't. He's just wonderful. Yeah, well, he's wonderful, right? So whether that is the second you walk in being like, yo, I love those Jays, right? Immediately I connect with you on a social piece that has nothing to do with basketball, but it shows you that I care about culture, right? So it's, it's, it's seeing the person behind the sport talking to him about his kids, how many kids you got, right? Like 
let's just let's just connect man to man here for a sec. Um, I always lead with competition type stuff when I get into a group like that because it gets them smiling, it gets them laughing, it gets them back to the root of why they started playing. So there's no more ego involved and then it can just have some fun. Then they leave being like, damn, that was just a blast. That was just a lot of fun. Then they associate me with the fun. Love it. Right? So you can do that. And yeah, there will be guys that I have to take a hard ass approach on and go, that's fine if you don't like me. I'm still going to get the best out of you. Right. Like then I go like, I'm going to lean on you until until you break or there's guys that you pull off to the side and say, like, hey, look, like we need to have a conversation or there's got you know what I mean? Like there's so many different situations that I think the fun and. Complimentary stuff works usually with a bigger group, and then you'll have your two or three people that you really need to make sure that those two or three people are not soiling the water for you because all it takes is one bad apple. Another guy on the team said, I'm going to let go of my, my anger that the 49ers lost <laughs> last weekend. Right. I mean, it could be anything. And then we laughed because we, we loved him. He brought humor to the group and we got to one individual and he took a deep breath and he said, I'm going to forgive my parents. And oh. we all kind of were like, and he had tears in his eyes, but he, we had gotten to the point where he felt safe enough in that group to do that. And this individual had been homeless because he had came out to his parents when he was younger and fast forward, he's the head of our Alliance group at work for the LGBTQIA community. And he just took this deep breath and we all, um, got teary eyed and we just, we just held space for him and let him do that. It was cool. I'm going to cry. <laughs> wow. So, you know, tie that into not to sound super cold or, you know, but this is how we get paid and how our lives go tie that into profitability and productivity. They're going to call him up and help him with a project. Everybody felt closer. Hey, you know, we hear you're going through something from our connecting activity. Let me help you with that project or I just feel close enough with you now, Alex, to call and ask you a question because you're doing the same job as me yeah. in another area. And guess what that does? It frees me up as the leader to do my job so I can support you even more. Parents think they're the best, all of it. That's been hammered into their head. Then they're in a situation where they break down and they have no idea how to handle it. So then they have a temper tantrum. That is what mental conditioning is about, is saying, okay, wait a second. You're actually in a new scenario. You haven't seen this before. You are now faced with realizing you've got a different level of competition out there. So how are you going to elevate and handle yourself to stay in the game versus breaking down because you're so used to like winning and kicking everyone's butt all the time. Um, that's what mental conditioning is about is making sure you're building those skills as you are developing as an athlete through different stages. I needed that one. Why did I need that one? Because I think like many people, we're, we're competitive. We want to do the best. We want to be accepted. We want to just go with the flow. We want to just make sure we make it happen. And you get distracted. You get confused by so many different inputs. Uh, one person tells you this. One teacher says this. One of your friends says this. Your circumstances say that. And you get so caught up in running in every lane on the track that you just don't focus in on yourself and focus in on reading your manual in life. 
and what's most important to you. Learn your buttons and how to push your buttons instead of letting the world push your buttons. So when I heard that, it really just crystallized and cleared up for me that I'm not competing against Alex. I'm not competing against LaDainian. I'm not competing against anybody I ever played with. I'm competing against me. Like I gotta be the best version of me. So yesterday gotta be a worse version of me today, which has to be a worse version of me tomorrow. And even though I know that's gonna be a roller coaster ride, that is my focus. And I love that one because I think that most people in this world, especially in social media times where they want us to click for likes and they want us to follow. What about the love, not likes? What about the leaders, not followers? So it's a different way to look at the same situation and start to realize, as coaches always told us, Alex, it ain't about what they do. It's about what you guys do. No one could beat you if you don't beat yourself. With something else in another, another time period in your life because I see life also as being different seasons, you know, and I, I'm not the type of person, obviously, you know, I was a school teacher, a principal, all this stuff for, you know, about 12 years or so, and I've moved on to a different career. I think there's different seasons in our life that we are, you know, accustomed to evolve into as well. And, and if you have, like we talked about those core values, you know, there, it's going to evolve over time. And, and in my book, being a better person is way better than having, you know, the, the best stats out there. <laughs> Jeff Bezos, without skipping a beat, without feeling embarrassed in front of his executive staff, said, well, that's good data. Let's go test that. And his credibility in front of his staff didn't come from being right all the time. Mm. His credibility from his staff and his team and his leadership team came from being right most of the time and then being able to admit it 100% of the time if proven wrong and, and, and to let go of the ego that is typically attached with being right. He, in front of his entire executive staff, admitted that he was wrong and was willing to explore something. That division, the advertising division of Amazon, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll let you guess. How much money do you think that division made last year? Oh, my gosh. That division, advertising. Yep, the advertising division. Third-party ads. Third-party ads. Uh, how about uh, fifteen billion? Fifteen billion. It made yes. thirteen and a half billion dollars last year. Come on now, that was pretty damn close, Dave. Come <laughs> on, baby. Come on. Thirteen and a half billion dollars last year. Wow. So you're welcome. So, right. so you tell her, and, and, hey, and that was you're welcome, Mr. Bezos. He, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, you're right. <laughs> if, only, if only I could have uh, bought more Amazon stock right at that moment right then, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, the, the, the key to that success, though, is most CEOs, most coaches, most leaders don't have that kind of humble pie yeah, willingness yeah. to admit a mistake so quickly and so deeply and turn. There's only two things that are not forgivable for repayment, taxes and student loans. You, you don't get you, like a pass. The, o the only way that you get out of your tax bill or your student loan bill is to die. Is death. That is the only way. They they are not forgiven. 
So to think about 43% of our country has these debts that are not forgivable is, 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 is flabbergasting, right? Wow. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't it, think a whole, I don't think a whole bunch of people in this country are financial lit, financially literate or mm-hmm. responsible or or both is that what the numbers say the numbers say it unfortunately it, 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 that is what it says and you know it's it's something that um i've taken pride in but here's the thing i grew up in a household that was very financially illiterate you know, when we sat around my table, we never discussed uh, finances. We never discussed the stock market. I hadn't even heard of the stock market until college. I, I mean, I didn't know anything about the stock market until college. And in high school, they might have mentioned it. They mentioned it in maybe a finance class, but, you know, I wasn't paying attention. Um, and so, sadly, that lack of information in the early years hurts us. Financial literacy should be being passed on so early um it's just starting middle school to be honest with you to start getting because at middle school you can start to comprehend you can start to think about how you save money low jobs odd end jobs right these are the things that should be being discussed early on okay okay well let's dig into that like what what do what should i be telling my 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 daughters because they do babysitting Mm-hmm. And, you know, from time to time, they do a little modeling, whatnot, they get a little coin. What should I be, <laughs> what should I be telling them besides like save that for college? Right. I, I think that uh, a big thing that we can start to challenge our children on is understanding what it means to put up a certain percentage of their money off the top. Right. And so Just take, if it, off start, take it off the top. And I always say, tell people, pay yourself first. If you learn to teach your kids to live on less than they make early in their life, they will build the habit of understanding that, oh, just because I made a dollar means that I only am allowed to spend 75 cents of that dollar. I'm saying all this because I'm frustrated and it took me a while to figure it out. Like, no, the frustration should be somewhere else because Martha We get her a nice, fluffy, comfortable bed, right? And she sleeps on this comfortable, soft bed. But at at sometimes at night, or I guess in the morning, when we go over there, I'm like, man, what's that smell? What what the hell? Martha, dumbass, has peed in her bed. And she's done it more than once. It wasn't like an accident. But I think what it is, is she reverts back to kind of like how she was raised. And it's very frustrating. But I started to think, I was like, you know, I'm just like anybody else. For the most part, I, I placed the blame somewhere else. But when, it, but when I look at it, I said, man, that's, damn, that's my fault. I think how she was raised, you know, peeing on a soft, pad she just like hey this is it now, i'm not gonna go pee on the rug by the front door or by the back door i'm gonna pee right here 
<laughs> and so I started looking at it. I was like, man, damn, that's my fault. And that's the same way how anything else in life, right? When your kids, when they start to act up in a store, hopefully they're not acting up when they're teenagers. Maybe they do. I don't know. But man, when they're younger, and we've been at Target, we've been in a mall where kids just act a straight up fool because they don't get their way and they just plop down and screaming and hollering. Now, if it hasn't happened to you, good for you, but I've seen it happen to other parents in these different stores where their kids just lose their mind. And that makes me think of like Martha, right? When at home do you correct it? Do you correct that and say, no, that's not okay. You don't just plop down and start screaming and hollering, right? And we have to correct it early on rather than later. It's the same way whether you're a teacher at school or you're a manager or an executive somewhere else. I think the first thing is you have to be able to set the standard. Because that went against everything that I've been taught. Everything. And I remember playing against the 49ers in 1996. And it was a two-minute, you know, kind of a two-minute drill. Not, not a drill. It was, it, it was actually happening in the game. And we ended up having a TV timeout. And I looked over to, to Jerry Rice. And sure enough, he had his hands on his knees. Now, I've never done this. Even when he told me that. I've always believed, you know, what I believed. I have my hands behind my head. When I saw him doing that, and it, it, he was one of the, the best conditioned athletes I've ever come across, then and now. When I saw him resting, doing that TV timeout with his hands on knees, you better believe I was doing the exact same thing. I think status quo can stunt our growth if we continually do things just because it's been done by people ahead of us uh, people in leadership positions parents or whatever it can damage us it can hurt us it can stop us from growing to the nfl it becomes your profession and you have to conduct yourself as such, you know, you have to um, master the, the details of your daily life. You have to master the nuances of um, how to continually grow over time, because in that and just from the one year that I've been in here, the it's easy to plateau. It's easy to stay at one one spot and kind of coast through. But I feel as if the great the great guys and the great players that I've been around in just this short little time, as the season goes on, they become greater. So my brain heard uh, not only you were a terrible football player, Ryan, but you are a, a horrible human being. And, uh, you know, sure enough, that evening, an acquaintance of mine offered me some Vicodin. Um, it's a drug I've been introduced to because of all my orthopedic surgeries from playing. And it worked. It always worked. It's an orth it's a opioid painkiller. Mm -hmm. And it always worked for me. Uh, this would be the first night that I would abuse it with some alcohol. And I was in parties in Vegas where there were Super Bowl champions and Hall of Famers and um, places where I always felt judged and less than. 
and I took this a couple of these pills and I drank it with the alcohol and I didn't feel any of that. I didn't feel any judgment. I didn't feel any fear. I didn't feel less than I didn't, I didn't feel necessarily any better. I just didn't feel anything. And I think I'd been searching for a long time um, uh, for a way not to feel anything. Mm. And I found the answer. And I kept doing it. So all the way through, you know, I'm 31 now and, and the accident was um, 14 years ago. So it's just been my, my life cycle, you know, how I deal with my daughter, how I deal with my relationships, everything is just the same cycle. And, you know, the channeling of the pain into production has kind of been like my secret weapon with everything. And, you know, I just lost a couple of family members over the pandemic. And, you know, it was away from my family for 20, for 20 months. And when I look back over the past 20 months, I look at the skill that I developed while I was rehabbing, which was turning my pain into production. And that's what I did over the past 20 months. And I had the most productive 20 months I've ever had in my life. Um, you know, from having a baby, launching a business, you know, um, having success with a draft, number one, two, and three picks. Like, and, and all of that came from my pain into production. I think as coaches, man, and even as leaders, bosses, management, whatever, we forget what it's like, man. And you, you got you to take your lumps and you got to put in your time and pay your dues. But, man, I'm telling you, man, if you don't know what it feels like to get in a cold tub and it's your first time ever, you can't, you can't empathize with an athlete, man. You can't empathize with someone who's working for you or with you uh, to see how hard it is, you know? And so for me, I call that my authentic pursuit, man. So for me, I'm really trying to see what they – what they're going through, man. I'll even take classes at Liberty to see what the stress is like uh, on a Sunday to have a paper due by midnight. You know, mm. um, I try not to do that too much, but I want to see what it feels like, man. I want to know what they're going through. And I think that's one of the connection points. You know, when you can empathize with people, you have a deeper relationship. When that was over, I thought I was done, Alex. I mean, I thought that was it. I, I was happy to be putting in my resumes at General Electric and okay. Procter and Gamble. You know, Jim Beam, I, shoot, we had good alumnus there and I was going to get a good job. Let's go. And so Pete Yellen calls me into his office and says, there's three agents that want to meet with you. And I said, what do they want me about? And I said, I'm going to college. He goes, you ain't going to college. You ain't going to be shit. You ain't going to be just like your dad and not do anything. And I was just like, oh. Yeah. I'm going to prove to you that I could graduate, <laughs> you know, it, college. I wasn't thinking of college, but, you know, mom had drawn a line. Enough's enough. This is what I see you becoming. and Because of your mother, actions. Yeah, because of my actions. But for me, just to have her say anything negative like that, because she, she never would have and then did it, I knew that I had messed up. And, you know, I had one year to turn it around because I, I ended up passing going to, into my senior year, then we ended up getting a new coach who basically told my cousin, like a lot of people have told me that I, we shouldn't take a chance on you, but I don't care what they say. You you start from right here. We start our relationship, but that's what I judge you on. Son, sometimes people are given second chances. I sure hope you do something with yours. Wow. Hey, I'm not even here talking to you right now. I don't even have these kids that I have right now. And I wanted, like you said, to control the narrative because for years it was like all these good things were written and said about me. And I would be in the streets of Portland and people, you know, 
thank you this and that and I appreciate it I greatly appreciate it walking with my mom downtown one time and that happened I said thank you and then as they walked off and we walked off I was kind of like she goes how come how come you just sighed and I go because these people really don't know me and she goes I'm sure they know you Brian I go mom they know a part of me I was pissed um I think I was just playing with aggression and that's not that's not like the only type of emotion you can play with, but it's a powerful one. Mm-hmm. You know, like Bruce Lee said like emotional content and that stuff. And at that point, I was feeling pissed, so I play that way. There's some games where I feel completely relaxed and content, and I go out and I play that way. Or there's some there's some games where you know I feel pretty much is however I feel in the moment. I'm gonna bottle up that energy. And directed towards my opponent or whatever I need to do. I think that's the most. That's probably why I play football is the feeling you get when you're on the field and you have that uh, like controlled rage, pretty much. Mm. I think it's it's really powerful and hard to explain, but you're in the zone, and I I kind of chased that feeling for the first two years of my college career, trying to get in that zone. And I finally figured out a system. What is that? I mean, it, it changes for everyone, but part of it is just knowing yourself, knowing who you are. I'm always a person who needs to calm my nerves before I play, so I don't need to listen to a bunch of pump-up music, you know? So mm. found a system, and then at that point, I knew every week whenever I was up on the field, it would come out, and that was when it happened at the end of my junior year. It was Apple Cup, Washington State. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, I've been playing pretty well. The one thing that I have noticed in every movie, every play, or every book I've ever been part of, there's a good guy and there's a bad guy. And everybody was trying to be the good guy. So when I quickly realized nobody even wants to be the bad guy, I can be the biggest, we call it a, a heel, the biggest heel in the business just by raising my hand. I will be the number one bad guy in the whole bit just by saying I want to be. And when I went down to that end of the pool, man, there was nobody swimming down there. It was just me. So if they ever needed a bad guy, and every story has a bad guy. That's what promotion is. People miss that. Promotion is storytelling. It's very hard to tell a story without a bad guy. And that's where I came in. And I got a lot of opportunity for it, but I I was never faking it. I I always, I was just speaking it. But I was was an angry young man, angry white kid from the streets of Westland. (laughs) If I, Tommy Breedlove, called myself a legend, people would laugh me out of the room. And the reason I love the word legendary is it's something society, your peers, your family, your communities, they label us legends. And it has nothing to do with rich or fame, you know, rich and famous. It has to do with, did you leave this world better or worse than you found it? Did you live with purpose or lack of purpose? Did you leave a legacy and a life of significance or did you not? I.e., how did you improve your community, your world and your people how did you make them better or how did you make them worse? And the word legendary is given to us by so many people or it's not. And no one's going to talk about all the things we did when we die. We're going to talk about how we made this world, how we made them feel, how we make them better or how we made them worse. And legendary, that's why I picked the title. And my goal is to hopefully build and live a legendary life. Focus. And I love that one because I think if most people in this world, especially in social media times where they want us to click for likes 
and they want us to follow. What about the love, not likes? What about the leaders, not followers? So it's a different way to look at the same situation and start to realize, as coaches always told us, Alex, it ain't about what they do. It's about what you guys do. No one could beat you if you don't beat yourself. And that's just my mindset. I love that. That's uh, And that's something that, you know, I'm sure you've on the field, it gave you success, and then off the field. So for me, like when those two things kind of line up, oh, that's a principle right there. Great. And so what, you know, you talk about leadership, because that's what I'm hearing, right? Influence. Because yeah. a lot of us, we're influenced by, you know, different things. <laughs> and I'm like, to the Domo, when I was interviewing the founders at Domo, I'm like, okay. how much do you give cash bonuses? Do you give away other stuff? They're like, no, we just have the big blue rooster. And so this guy, right, from Domo oh. reaches out five times. He asked me if I've read any good books. I was like, I, I, I got to do this. I was like, listen, I don't mean to be a jerk, but I'm writing a book right now. And it's all, it's called Save Your Asks. And one of the premises is a race to the middle. And if you'd done a little bit of research, Brad, if you'd done a little bit of research, you would have seen I wrote a best-selling book. And I use you guys as the example in it. And he, was like, <laughs> and he responded. He was like, oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. And so my advice to everyone listening is just do a little bit of research and zone in on the stuff that you're also excited about, right? Mm-hmm. And it's through that that we're able to, I think, develop that foundation. And then you take it to the next level when you're able to talk about, like, what fires you up? nuclear family. My sister was there. My grandmother, I had really strong figures that I was like my Teflon to all the adversity I was seeing and facing. So what happened was I started to hear all the horror stories, whether it was a tremendous athlete who didn't make it, uh, whatever the reason he had a kid too young, uh, he didn't get his grades right. And he was a prop 48, whatever it was. I just saw so many tremendous athletes coming right back to the block. And all they had was a bunch of excuses or reasons. And I was like, damn, he's better than me. He's better than me. And he's right back here. So I think that was the first step for me to start to calculate my role differently. I just couldn't do what they did. Uh, Being real, I didn't think I was going to be as good as they were and do the same thing and then come back having that same sorry song. So I started to look at things differently, man. I really prioritized being a student athlete. Uh, I didn't look at it like, oh, I'm an athlete who just goes to class. I was like, nah, I'm a student that just plays sports. <laughs> and yeah. so that really helped me out. Um, I guess you fast forward to when I had opportunities to go to the big schools and the football factories, I just started to think once again, and I had a lot of help around me, especially my elders and counselors, but they basically said, look, you go to another football school, that'd be tremendous for your football career. But if you go to that Ivy League school, that may be tremendous for your life, especially life after football. So a lot of old heads basically me, forego your four years of fun and festivities and big time college football, pass that by in terms of looking towards the future. And hopefully you can have the best of both worlds. And I was blessed to have it. Absolutely. Man, that's so cool, man. So, so you had, like, you you was already thinking past the sport. You was thinking past football, like what you was going to do after that. That's what it sounds like. Right? Yeah, man. I, look, I mean, everyone has a different path with different intentions and different emotional content. Um, my path was, I wasn't a football player. I played football. 
And I'm glad I didn't wrap my entire being around the sport, around the ball. You know, and having perspective on suffering and things like that is really, really is a benefit. So if I was out there and I was thinking, oh, man, this is this is rough for some reason. I could just think back to things that my grandparents endured or things that my even my own dad went through or any any other point in history where people went through so much worse and I could then turn that that fear and that being upset into gratitude and be like wow what a what a cool experience I'm having or you know I like, want an opportunity you know yeah, yeah so having that perspective is really important and I've always drawn a lot from from history my own family's history and also in general you know yeah, so. see I love that that you thought outside of yourself Mm -hmm. like you use history to kind of help you um get through that you use your own family's history yeah perspective because a lot of people when they're in situations tough tough situations they just internalize everything right right looking through it from another lens right and it seems like you not only did that jordan but you did it with a, a um, it was just a mindset like you were always it looked like you was having a good time and you was <laughs> out there how long were you out there for uh 77 days i i got it it almost ended too soon i will say i i, I was i was so excited i couldn't believe it you know i had told myself i was going to win i just thought well we'll see what happens and i'm but oh. i'm the show going on for months more than it did so look at that so hold on so that's a key point you didn't just have an end point no you was you thought like worst case look at that he said six months instead of what almost three right 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 yeah so it's a good uh, it's a good thing to do to set your expectations expectations you know at at the right level it's uh it's psychologically really tough to expect the show to end you know tomorrow all the time it's like no the suffering if you know if you want to put it that way whatever you're mm-hmm. going it might be a while but but you do have that hope and you i, I always i kind of considered it like a, a pessimistic optimism like I, I was always expecting the worst and then coming to terms with that like hey that's okay i can deal with that even though it's gonna be real tough you know it's like oh what's it gonna be like to be away from the kids for six months and not even talk to them you know and yeah and think but then you you put it in perspective like we're talking about and come to terms with it and then you're only pleasantly surprised and you can if you can find a positive mental space while expecting the worst in that way it's actually (laughs) then the only thing that's going to happen is a positive Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Shark Effect Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at thesharkeffect.com. Thanks for listening. It's here, finally my book the ultimate playbook for high achievement you can get it on amazon in the uh paper paperback version or you can get it on kindle and who this book is 
um, in, intentionally created for is for those who are looking tr to transition, what, whether you was an athlete or an executive or a successful entrepreneur or whatever, if you're looking to transition into something different, this book can help you. I break it down, I lay down the foundation of who you want to be. I have a chapter in there that breaks down and boils down leadership, which is influence. And you gotta understand these 10 influencers that can help you with decision-making, that can help you with influencing others. And how are you influenced? I have chapters in there that really breaks down my system of assignment, alignment, and adjustment. Um, recognizing the power of your environments is a chapter. Developing your own procedures, creating relationship roadmaps, using adversity to your advantage, right? Because we all go through tough times, but how do you flip it? How do you use it to power you, okay? And then developing your own standards. So these are things that can help anybody, not just, not just athletes. Now, there's some stories in there, you know, that covers topics that, that resonate with athletes, but I think overall, this book can help um, anyone who is looking to transition into becoming successful in something new, something different, okay? So make sure, check it out. Amazon, the ultimate playbook for high achievement.